Welcome to another conversation with My Future Skills, the podcast where we talk with interesting people about what skills we have and what skills we need to have to be present in the future. In this episode, I talk to Sylvia Wiesner. Sylvia can look back on a 17-year leadership career at Unilever. She left her role as a managing director there to join Egon Zinda, where she now works with board and executive teams on human answers to complex challenges. She's a DEI ally and sits on the executive committee of the European Women on Boards. Additionally, she's a young global leader of the World Economic Forum, a startup advisor, and also a mom. With so much experience all over the leadership and management place, it was so enriching to talk to Sylvia about leadership. We looked into how the meaning of the word changed as well as the meaning of the job. We're jumping wholeheartedly into embracing emotional intelligence as another quality of leaders and how that supports us as a leaders personally in the growing field of tension that we find ourselves in. We talk about the paradox of leadership, fixed in the short term, built for the long term, and how we need to have a team around us that supports us in this mission, not because they have to, but because they want to. I hope you enjoy the conversation just as much as I did. Here's Sylvia on leadership. If you're at a party and you're asked, what is it you do all day? What do you answer? Okay. Um, I haven't been to that many parties yet since starting my new job two months ago, which probably is an invitation to please invite me to the next party because I'm fun. Um, but uh, next to that hint, I would say I'm talking with a lot of people. Actually, my day is all about spending time getting to know people and with them figuring out how I might be able to support them and who I might want to connect them with and um, yeah, what my role could be in them finding their next role or finding their next uh, perfect hire. Mm -hmm. That sounds like you're doing a lot of connecting, connecting exactly. thoughts, connecting people, connecting ideas. Exactly. And I think that's what I always enjoyed doing. So it's pretty cool that I now found a profession where actually I can be doing that um, on a daily basis as the core of my work, right? Mm. And maybe just to be very precise in terms of what I'm doing. So I was now much referring to the executive search part of my role as a leadership advisor, but there's kind of a spectrum of leadership advisory services. We are doing it at Egon Sander, and it would be also something like board consulting. It's about executive assessment, executive development. You can do that on an individual basis, on a team basis. Or it could be something like culture development. It could be D&I consulting. So, you know, it, it's quite varied in terms of um, elements. But at the very heart, it's always about having a conversation with someone else and finding the connection with that person, building a trust, um, developing a relationship. And then you just figure out, you know, what kind of tool you might be able to pull or what kind of colleague you might want to invite into the conversation just to be able to best support the other one. Right. I like that idea of how the work of an executive actually is connecting. 
Because especially if you come from more of a traditional idea of managing, of what is it that executives do? What is it that managers do? What leaders do? It's more the, they tell you what to mm. do as, as a job, as a task, and not so much connecting the dots. They're expected to be the ones already having it all figured out. But obviously what you're saying is there's a, there's a shift happening from what we perceive and what's actually happening in executive ranges going more towards that openness and, and that their job is not having it all figured out, but actually bringing the dots together. 100%. I think we're actually at the point in time where leadership is being redefined. So we are clearly leaving behind the old management style. And I'm very much using the word management and not leadership on purpose because uh, I, I believe in what Ad Sheen, who is an American or has been an American um, sociologist, was saying that as an inflationary usage of the word leadership. And we really should only be referring to people as leaders if they are really leading. And I think today when we're looking into what's new leadership, how do people want to be led? It has nothing to do with the old command and control approach. Nobody or very few people these days expect their leader to have all the answers, to always be certain about what's meant to come next. because. Well, let's look at the outside. Everything is changing all the time. The world is pulling off one pivot after the other, which means we also need to do pivots all the time. And it would be ridiculous to assume that you could be the best prepared person for any kind of circumstance that might come up. That's just ridiculous to assume. And therefore, we need to have these leaders. And luckily, we have more and more of them who have the right self-reflection who have um, humility, who have a tendency to be vulnerable and therefore also create a psychologically safe space, who value diversity in their teams and who create an inclusive environment and who are clear that whatever they try to achieve, it will be a team sport. It will be a team effort. And I think this, this makes all the difference. You put out some... I don't know, could you call them characteristics of your new understanding of leadership yourself? The, the self-reflection, the vulnerability, the awareness. How would you for yourself define that new type of leadership? Is that part of it? Is that a, what you just said, those three points, are those the, the full list, quote unquote, or, um, or what does it all entail for you? Yes. How, how would you define it? That. I'm sure, you know, there's different ways of looking at it. Probably there are a couple of elements that most of us could agree on. And I think the first and essential element is self-leadership and self-leadership comes with self-reflection. And it's actually something that you're also seeing in one of our recent CEOs started at Egon Sander. We asked, you know, almost 1,000 CEOs globally, and they all agree that they need to start working on themselves first. So it's basically an acknowledgement that you need to have a dual journey. So in parallel, you need to develop yourself and you need to develop an organization, but you can't just expect your organization to, you know, go for transformation when you're not willing to do the work with yourself. Right. And there the starting point is really to ask questions, to stop, take a pause. Um, 
figure out who am I? Who do I want to be? What makes me happy? What makes me feel proud? What gives me energy? Where do I feel I'm meaningful, I'm impactful, I'm purposeful? Ask all those relevant questions. And then be clear, what kind of change do I need to drive? And who could support me on that change journey? And I think today, more and more people and more and more executives and not even only the people right at the top, I think that's also a mistake, understand that having a coach, that's a smart thing, you know. A coach is not just there for those who really need it. Actually, we all can benefit from those one-on-one conversations in a very trusted, psychologically safe environment. I think that would be my my first pillar to that new leadership definition. And then I'll just throw in a second bit. Um, The second one is, I think we're clearly moving away from those IQ leaders, very much focused on what needs to be done. And we are going towards IQ plus EQ leaders. So it's about acknowledging the importance of emotional intelligence, knowing that having passion and compassion, that's contagious. That's what's attractive to your team member. And one of my uh, former colleagues said something I really enjoyed hearing, and I think it's true. She said that because I'm bringing my heart to the office doesn't mean I'm leaving my head, I'm leaving my brain at home. I think it's, it, it, you know, just pointing out what some may be scared about. And it, it's a call to action to embrace being a human, not just being a leader. That is a beautiful thing that she said. I totally agree. When she's when you just mentioned um, notice I was learning it. That that's really beautiful. Yeah, and it's it's also true, right? Um, we we tend to see ourselves as those machines that show up with our brains um, at work or at the workplace. Um, when in fact, it's the whole thing that actually makes our brain work in the first place, right? So if we if we separate that, what does that say about us as well? And I love how she was like. Just because I bring my heart in doesn't mean I, I only have my heart in it. Um, exactly. That's beautiful. Think, and I think it, it's also important for, for team members to see that, right? I mean, do I want to expect my team members to just be using only their brains? I mean, I want to have all their brain. Yes, that's great. But I want them to approach any topic with all parts they can bring in, right? And, and the sensing part and using their lived experiences um, and being able to connect with others, being able to connect with your consumers, for instance, that's so important. And seriously, connection does not just happen with the hat. I think that's, that's pretty obvious. So I think if you didn't do that, you would just really neglect a relevant part of finding solutions, of having creativity, of coming to better solutions, plus it's not helpful for creating connection within, for establishing relationships with those being in your team. While actually, we are social beings. We want to have connection. We want to feel supported. That's part of creating a positive environment which we can actually flourish. I just had a thought in my head because, well, we're two women sitting here. 
discussing about leadership, you just brought in the example from from your colleague who, because you refer to her as a she, I assume yeah. she's also a woman. So there is that 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 elephant in the room being like, okay, we're all women talking about bringing our heart to leadership, opening yeah. up the definition of leadership to that. And I know you're also very uh, active in the DEI movement and also bringing more women in leadership positions and board positions. Um, how much does, from from your experience and, and how you're involved in the scene, how much is there a difference in those discussions based on gender? Yeah. I'm trying to be very careful uh, with that kind of, you know, distinguishing between is it something that's more male or more female i'm always trying to stay away from being too generalist on those topics i think i could just reference so many great male leaders to embody that combination of iq and eq and you know people i just really enjoy working with or talking to so um i think that would be too easy to say well, I would love to say um, female leaders out there take confidence in what's in you, but not just because, you know, of your gender. Um, if you look at certain studies, for instance, um, and also one that we recently did, it's true that, for instance, females have a better time or find it easier and therefore also do it more often asking for feedback. And that's one part of, you know, developing yourself and also being able to show vulnerability and invest in yourself. So that's something that you can just prove in certain studies. Um, women just do that much more, which you could see could have pros and cons. Pro is you will develop, so that's great. The con is maybe you're not that self-confident or maybe, you know, you're just presenting yourself in a different way. Um, so let me just say, I think, Everybody can develop their leadership approach, a leadership style. And of course, all kind of um, personality tasks, they will always show you just what's your, your go-to motion, what, what comes really easily, naturally to you. What is the approach that gives you energy versus some other approach will use more of your energy. But I think having a growth mindset and believing that we can develop basically in any direction we would like to develop, that's crucially important. And um, that's probably then just an invitation for anybody who says, yeah, I think, you know, I should work on my leadership approaches. I should work maybe even on my leadership beliefs to begin with. Yes, reach out to someone else. Get yourself some support. And that could be a coach, but it could also be just a sparring partner. It could be someone where you're thinking, I'm not impressed by that kind of leader. And I would like to learn from him or her. Uh, I think that's all very much doable. It just starts by you seeing the need or you seeing the potential benefit coming from it. And then, yeah, investing, making some kind of commitment. But I think we all can be empathic leaders. I think we all can be positive leaders. It's it's not something that's just reserved to the few. Yeah. I was just thinking of the show that I just recently watched and finished, Tad Lasso. Not sure if you're aware we said. I haven't seen it. Um, 
It is an excellent show. I'm just going quickly through the synopsis. Um, a football team in England. I think they start off in the Premier League, then go off and go up. So, but anyway, uh, professional football players. Um, get a new coach who had no idea of football whatsoever before. He was working in the United States and another sports yeah. coach and then went in there. And we all probably know how hard it is to run a Premier League team, right? With all the money, with all the expectations in it. Yeah. And Tara though, just comes in there and says like, nope, not going to be that type of, of person, not going to be that type of trainer, not going to be that type of manager. Um, and he just takes over the whole club with so much love and compassion and empathy mm -hmm. and all of the things that you just said. And also... They have a thing which which I personally love. They call it the Diamond Dogs. It's basically the the men in the leadership team of that club coming together and pulling their heart out to the other men. So so there's that that there are those those rooms where those discussions can happen, mm -hmm. right? And so it's it's everything that you said. It's the 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 awareness, the self awareness. What do I need to bring to the table to be a good leader? What can I do? to help others get out of their closet, come out and, and bring the best that they are to the table. And the whole thing is, for me, just a perfect, what I would like to be, well, although I'm not sure if there's like that picture perfect leadership, mm -hmm. or if that should be there, leaving that up for discussion. But for now, that is like a very, very great picture of what leadership can be like. So, um, and you just reminded me of that because he's, he's such a sweet guy. Um, and such a great leader. I just make you think of um, the commencement speech that Amy Weaver, the CFO of Salesforce, just recently did. It was all about kindness and leadership. Right. Well, I think it has been thrown upon in the past. People were told, you know, you're just too nice. I think we're hearing less of that these days. I think yeah. it's because we are an employee market. Talents decide who they want to work with, not even who they want to work for, who they want to work with. And kindness, it's just an essential value. I want to feel valued. I want to feel recognized. I want to feel supported. Of course, and I deserve to have that kind of treatment. And um, I think there is this element of the heliotropic effect from biology, which means that all kinds of organisms develop and strive towards the source of energy. So think of a sunflower and the sunshine, right? Da, 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 da. And actually it's the same in leadership. Team members strive towards the leader that is there for them, that wants to nurture them, that comes up with the question of what can I do to support you? Would you say that this new understanding of leadership also defines who can be a leader. I'm thinking of like the, the traditional way of how somebody became a manager was you're the best in your field and then you go up to lead the, the team. Mm -hmm. um, when... If I take what you're saying and how you would describe leadership, it is a, a profession of its own with different strengths, with different weaknesses that come with it and not everybody can handle it. Um, 
Oh, actually, when I think about it, the question is twofold, because on the one hand, that means who has the skills and abilities to be a leader. And on the other hand, that means how can we define being leadership, not necessarily as a thing of a career ladder, the next logical step, but where does it fit in the, the configuration of that? Yeah. Uh, lots of points, right? Uh, <laughs> um, I think one is probably leadership does not stop when, uh, does not start once you become a director or something like that. So I don't think leadership is linked to any kind of title or linked to age or profession. I think we all can be leaders and ideally we all are leaders. I think we just need leadership. We need people who want to have an impact and a positive impact. The more, the merrier. And indeed, it may not be for everyone in terms of the responsibility that comes with it or the, I go out there and I drive for, for change. And I think that's also fair to acknowledge. We cannot really demand anybody to do something or to act in a certain way. I think that's okay. But ideally, we have enough people who are saying, yes. I want to lead for impact. I want to have a positive impact on the world and I want to have a positive impact on people. Um, I think that's one. Secondly, I do believe in this growth mindset. I do believe that we all can develop constantly and we all should be developing constantly. It does not just happen like that. It requires the pausing, the reflection, the evaluating where we want to go, where we need to develop. Um, and then it's actually also hard work, but I think it, it's beneficial. And maybe just one word of caution on that constant self-development to become your best self, essentially, not to become someone else. I think it also matters to be at ease and to be in general okay with you. Uh, you know, a certain liking of yourself. I think that's very healthy. Um, and then you're just trying to adapt and do it a little better than you, you did yesterday or the year before. Right. But it's not about completely trying to ditch yourself just to be more like the others. Um, that's not the point, but I do believe we can develop, we all can become Babel leaders point for sure. Um, third point, I think the pressure on people in leadership positions, saying it like this, not saying leaders, the pressure on people in leadership positions has increased and will continue to increase. And the pressure comes from different directions. It comes from the market, you know, as Mukar as ever, for sure. And it will not get better. It will not get easier. We need to have the adaptability and the agility, but also the pressure from the teams you are leading, it will get less. People are demanding and today people are expressing their expectation and actually doing so rightfully, right? Um, I can choose in which environment I want to operate, in which environment I want to use my competences and my strengths. I will do where I think it just fits me best and fits my values best. And that's totally okay. And that's why I think as a person in a leadership position, 
You need to understand what the demands are from your team members or for potential talents out there. And you will need to take that on board in terms of how you're shaping your own leadership approach. And that's why I think that most people will understand that they need to ditch this command and control approach of the past if it was part of their leadership understanding. They need to change it. I think if you don't change it, you will be outdated quickly. There may be certain roles and certain organizations where you will be able to hold on to it for a bit longer, but you will become a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Picking on that, because I read an interesting discussion recently, and I want to hear your opinion on it, because the question that, that started that, that post was, what kind of leaders, what kind of person in leadership positions will the next generations be? Will they be in the same mm -hmm. troubles today's leaders are in today? Um, will they have, will they technically be the same, just face other struggles? Mm -hmm. Or will they be completely different? Will they come in with a different mindset? Um, yeah, what, imagine 15 years into the future, how would you imagine our leadership range to be 15 years from now? Super tricky. Um, I think in general predictions, you know, out there 10, 15 years, regardless yes. of the topic are very difficult to get somewhat right at all. Yes. Um, secondly, I think also there are studies out there, including one from Egon Zeller about generational differences, where actually maybe expectations are not even that different between the generations in terms of values or what makes them feel at ease. Maybe sometimes they are um, verbalized differently in terms of actually the words used, or they're just verbalized differently in terms of the intensity. I think that's a relevant one. But in terms of mm, the basic needs, you know, something like freedom, it's a value to anyone regardless of generation. The interpretation we do. Um, so if I, if I would need to make an hypothesis, I would go for probably there will be more polarization because people feel more comfortable saying as it is in their heart. People feel less pressure to show up for conformity, which I think is especially a topic in Germany, Austria, Switzerland. Um, compared to some other countries also in Europe. Um, I think the confidence level to really do what you feel strongly about is increasing. And I think that it also holds true for the leadership topic. I think you will have people who say, I just don't want to do that. I don't want to be the CEO, the general manager. I don't want to be the head of the departments. I want to just do a good job and, you know, contribute, but not in the first line. And I think it's totally okay. I think in general, it's okay to listen to what people really want to do. I think that's actually great. You should applaud them for it. And I think there will be still those leaders who are totally comfortable taking 
charge or, you know, being responsible, taking the responsibility. And I think they will be really driven to have the impact in the world. I think we will see more and more leaders who are driven to do the right thing, who are ditching comfort for doing the right thing, are very much in tune with their own values or have a lot of integrity, want to have a legacy and are capable of mm, transporting their passion, their compassion as well, their, their seemingly unattainable goals in a way that they actually create fellowship. So maybe we're also seeing a pivoting from leadership to fellowship. Um, which actually makes me feel hopeful. That's an interesting way to look at it. And, and maybe to, to build on it, I think what we've seen in politics before, uh, before, where it was not about I'm voting for party ads, but now I'm voting for political leader X. Think or I could imagine we will be seeing more of that also in the business world. I'm not just signing up for company ads because of the line of product or service or maybe the kind of vision they are talking about, but I'm actually signing up for company ads because I'm signing up for their top leader, person XY, because of what they get across in terms of how they are leading the company and what kind of change they personally want to drive in the world. And I think that can be very powerful in terms of attracting talent, attracting the fellowship, um, and assembling high-performing teams. Yeah, I think you're completely right there. And I think, especially if you look into the tech field, you can already see the beginning of that where people really want to work for one company because they know that one person is working there. Yeah, um, where they know that one person is shaping the reputation of the company very much. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on there. That that is a is a likely scenario. Yeah, and of course yeah. also a risky one, right? So I mean, uh, leaders can change. So uh, you still should look into what's the company all about, and some of the first that do your due diligence. I think a good leader is also one who ensures that things. So why things are sustainable? So any kind of change that they are trying to bring, any kind of cultural development they want to see, it needs to be somehow permanent. It cannot just stop when they are gone. So it needs to really trickle down. People need to embrace it. It needs to be wholeheartedly. It cannot just be something that's, you know, enforced and once that one person who is embodying it or is demanding it um, leaves, that it's all gone. And I, I sometimes see leaders who are taking pride in the fact that, okay, now I'm leaving and I know everything is going to collapse. Well, then I need to give it a feedback that you did not do a good job, right? Right. Yeah, it is. Like, you, you, you wonder in a situation like that and in a statement like that, like, why did you sign up to do the job in the first place? Um, is it the the internal reputation, the internal yeah. I'm the big guy doing the good job and once I leave, everything will crumble? Yeah. Or are you actually doing it for the greater good? 
um, which basically also comes down to the theory of the company. What's, what's the purpose of a company, right? And um, you've worked for Unilever quite a while and the CEO yeah. of Unilever wrote a, a, perfect, a, a great book. I, I think it's perfect. And that positive where he goes exactly into that. So like, okay, why are you signing up for that job? Is it to have meetings with the board every quarter um, a year? Yeah. Go through the number to crunch them and to see where you can squeeze out more? Or is it to actually leave something good on the planet? Um, and I, I like that that yeah. the premise to go out there and say like, no, the, the, the idea and the purpose of this company is not just to make the most money um, and to value profit in a monetary value, but also find other values for that, that sure that pay into that. 100%. And, you know, you're referring to Paul Coleman, and I think yeah. he has been one of the best elements of me joining Unilever uh, in 2005 when he joined the company and then quickly initiated something called the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan at a point in time when really ESG was not a word that was existing. And sustainability in the business context was really more frowned upon than celebrated, that was super disruptive. And it was also disrupted internally, not just externally. It's when your CEO tells you, we need to double the business and we're going to half our um, ecological footprint. You're like, what? Like, how should that be doable? It's, it's, it's the kind of ambition that is uncomfortable, nah? like in the tummy, but then it's also something that you know, okay, that's the right thing. We're going in the right direction. And in the end, it doesn't even matter whether you're going to achieve that specific goal or, you know, all of those 20, 30 goals and spelled out. It just means that you're aiming high, which means you will have a better impact than always just playing the safe path and just signing up for goals that you're demanded to uh, go after. You should set goals that actually are going to have a proper impact on the world. That's, that's the kind of metrics we want to see. So, um, yeah, definitely joining you and uh, your appraisal of the book, Not Positive and everything that Paul um, stands for. And how he just reminds leaders globally that actually we are in a leadership crisis. I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, I would say that. Today, we have all these big challenges from social inequality to climate change. But if we're very honest, we actually have the tools, we have the technology, we have the money to address them with the relevant scale and the relevant speed. It's not happening. And I really think the only explanation for that is we are failing collectively on leadership. And um, that's why we need to embrace and we also need to put forward and highlight any leader out there who is doing it the right way. And to create the pool and to raise the bar and to inspire others to go after the same and to do that personal self-development. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting journey we are all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to see whether, well, looking forward depends on the outcome maybe, but I'm um, really curious to see where this leads us. Um, 
because I see it happening more and more, especially the the movement of the social enterprise gaining more and more traction. Yeah. And and the ideas that are out there that I talked about that I spun with um, to see where they take us. Yeah. yeah. Maybe and I also, just... it's interesting to see big corporate because normally that the big corporation is in in the narrative also mostly the evil part of the story, right? It's the big corporation that has all the money and wants to gain more and more. So it's also interesting to see that there's a positive example, Unilever being one of them, or Patagonia being in the news quite recently for for how they're restructuring themselves yeah. and seeing that the corporation needn't have that evil part of the narrative, but it can also work with their resources, allocate them accordingly and, and create something good. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and I think it's also a bit of an unfair narrative, right? It's, it's a very easy one that uh, small is good and big is bad. I think it's just 100% not true. Um, I think the element of really having impact impact that comes with scale, that's great. And we should try to strive for that. And I can just give two examples from my first time joining the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum this year in Davos. And it's positive um, example. And it's underlying the overall feeling of mm, positive pragmatism or pragmatic positivism. I'm not sure, something like that, that I had when I left Davos. And one was... I really felt in all kinds of conversations and, you know, there's lots and lots of CEOs from all over the world present. I really felt that people were asking the right questions and they were coming with a lot of honest mm, conviction and determination to have a positive impact on the world. I mean, at that point in time, still right now, everybody was talking about inflation and recession and so on and so forth. And, you know, what do we do? Do you do to keep your your business life. But during that week in Davos, the conversation was not about what to do in 2023. The conversation was really about what to do in the next 10 years to make sure we as an organization are having a positive impact. We are tackling the issues out there and where can we actually collaborate? So I thought that was massively motivating and uplifting for me to see firsthand and then the second one was um, in one of the panel discussions, Mark Benioff, the Salesforce founder and CEO, was present. And he was then saying at some point, uh, may I ask for a show of hands? Please raise your hand when your organization has adopted a net zero or net positive strategy. And guess what? There was a show of hands, but it was clearly not... Um, Enough hands up in the air. No, it was not overwhelming. And he was concluding <laughs> that, you know what? The good news is these are more hands that I would have seen last year, but it's not good because we all 100% need to do that. And you're really just running out of time. And it's, it's incredibly frustrating to see that on this topic, especially talking about climate change, it doesn't seem that we have all understood. And it's even stranger if you notice that for some of the other recent big challenges, COVID found a vaccine. Um, energy crisis with uh, the war in Ukraine found a crisis that basically, you know, people's personal lives and also on a professional end for businesses, it's okay. 
So we are capable of finding solutions to pressing challenges. It feels less so for climate change. I think you pointed out an interesting struggle or paradox that leaders are in because you said, well, we're coming up with solution for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Because also I, I would say that's a job of a leader, a long-term perspective. Where are we running to and why would we want to run there? Um, at the same time, you understandably have people who have to live in the now because well, maybe if you're, if you're looking at the other extreme of that, they don't know how to pay their rent next week. So thinking 20, 30 years into the future for them might seem really like, well, that's nice that they want to solve climate change in 20 years, but how about my house is flooding away now? So, so that the, 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 the paradox that you're in on the one hand, being expected to solve problems now, at the other hand, also needing to see that short-term solutions might not always be the fix, but that they might be mere band-aids. So living in that yeah. discrepancy. Um, and I think it, it points to there are trade-offs to be made. And usually it's an end, end, end. You can't just pick one topic. Um, and I think sometimes we also need to get, give credit to those who are trying to do the right thing in that challenging environment of you know, fixed in the short term, built for the future. It's a very difficult job, regardless of whether you're at the top of a company or at the top of a country. And I think we're not always good as a society to acknowledge that having someone who has the right intention, having someone who gets it right quite often, gets it right on topics where it's just new. You, you don't have the solution you can just pull out from the drawer because you've done it 20 times before. I think we, we can really give credit to people who are willing to do those jobs, who are trying to do the right thing, and also get it right quite often. And I think there is actually a mistake that we are making collectively because we, we like to judge, right? We like to give feedback. And we also sometimes enjoy seeing that someone is struggling and stumbling and then we just jump on it and you know seeing that someone else is doing a bad job makes us feel better about ourselves so hmm, difficult topic um but i think there is just a, a mistake we are making rationally i think we are looking at outcomes and then we're judging the person attached to that outcome yeah. simply based on the outcome well, actually, we should be judging based on the decision-making process that was applied. And yes, whether it's a good or a bad decision-making process, the outcome could be good or bad. All we actually know is that if we are doing the right due diligence, if we apply a good process, the chances of having the right outcome, good outcome is higher. So we should... Uh, recognize and honor those who are doing the good work. We should not, you know, really come after them when, for whatever reason, the result is not as expected. Right. It's just a matter of fact that situations are changing. New information is coming up, which again then means we need to pivot. Yeah, we all know what Einstein said. You could just continue doing the same thing, but you expect to have a different outcome. That's not massively smart. 
But overall, that the right decision yesterday may not be the right decision today anymore. That's just normal. And then we just need to adopt this adaptability. We need to embrace pivoting and we need to do it together. Right. And it does help, help to have that that compass, that inner compass of, okay, where do I want to go? Because as you said, like, even if I make the right decision, it might raise the chances of me having a better output, but it's still not a hundred percent. That no. is just irrational to expect. Exactly. Like, in, like I, I want to say it never really worked, but especially in those times where everything yeah. is so volatile and unprecedented in a way as well. You you can't think of everything. So you can't have all the information. The idea of perfect information is an illusion. Um, So so how can you make sure you have 100% output? The short answer is you can't. So how do you make sure you at least know you're running in the right way and you're having your your guidelines set up? And and I think that the the north story, your values, your, your compass, when those are aligned and those are solid, that adds to the security of having a good output. Exactly. Plus, of course, having a diverse team who works on the topic, right? So I think there's there's certain tools and processes you can apply to in, to increase the likelihood of a good decision-making process. Yeah. And I think there's a mindset point, and maybe that one's important to point out. Um, and I guess most of us will know Adam Brand, who I just really love for all his leadership wisdom. And he is also talking about thinking like the scientist. And what he means is that your go-to approach is not to assume that you are right. You know the right answer, but the opposite. You simply accept and embrace that there is a high chance of you not getting it right. And you're actually looking for evidence that you are not right in your assumption. You're seeking out um, information that's conflicting and you're investigating but you're not just having this default approach of i know it sure just do it the other way around it's an interesting point as well to say even or even quote unquote the leader needs help from a diverse team because we're quick to attribute success to one person being the leader or the manager and not looking at the team behind them. Um, You know, I'm super critical or I know I'm I'm triggered when I'm listening to someone on a big stage or in a smaller group gathering who is talking about an achievement and all I can hear is I, I, I. Yeah. So obvious, this, this must be the furthest away from actual reality. I don't know. There, there, there must be very few rare circumstances when really a single person did something. Maybe you as a single person had the fantastic initial idea. That's great. And that should be showcased and highlighted and embraced. That's of course what we need. But there is so much else that needs to happen. And I think from, from all my own team experiences, when you bring together diverse people, people with different lived experiences, people who think differently, you will get to better results because you will think 
of things from different perspectives. You will have different experiences that can go into it. Yes, usually it will take a bit longer and likely be a bit more uncomfortable, but the outcome will be better. And I think, you know, there's tons of studies out there that prove that diversity increases innovation and actually also performance. But I think a leader definitely needs to know that. And when you've done it, don't forget about this element of accomplishment, which is one of the essential elements also in positive psychology and positive leadership. Of course, you need to celebrate a success and actually you need to celebrate the milestones towards your final goal. And you need to give credit to others. You need to highlight what everybody has been doing in the team. I mean, otherwise I think you're also at risk of people saying, well, thank you. That was a nice experience, but next time you can really do it on your own. And then there wouldn't be any growth in it, right? Like how far do you actually break the boundaries when you stay within your own boundaries? hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. I think there's, there's lots of, of different reasons why it matters to come together in a team and in a diverse team and the kind of challenge we're giving to each other. It benefits the project, the project results, but it also benefits the personal growth element. Yeah. With what you're saying, um, over the last time that we've now spoken, I was always thinking, like, I totally want to agree with you. And I totally see how what you're saying should be part of how we see and define leadership. At the same time, we're in that transition moment right now where we come from an old understanding of management and we're changing it to a new understanding of leadership. And what I see happening a lot is leaders being open to the changes and like, okay, no, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to do everything that Sylvia just said. Yeah. And I really want to do that. And then they're running into a team that understandably from their experience says, Okay, but can I really trust that movement? Is it really safe now? Can sure. I let myself out or will I get punished for that later down the road? Sure. How much of that is real and how much is show? And like, I'm not sure if there's, is there a leadership washing movement maybe? Um, so how do we create that safe space at the same time while the leader grows? Excellent question. I'll just share an example from my own um, journey. I did have two line managers on the same role who were very different. And the first one was more the command and control kind of person. And the second one was very much in the empowerment space and give the power to those who are closest to what's really going on to the problem, to the challenge, to the opportunity. And it definitely took some transition time for my own team to understand, to believe, and to be willing to adjust their own behaviors. So it was not like from one day to the other, they were willing to embrace the, now bring forward your ideas kind of invitation. No, they were not sure this would be actually picked up. They thought it was going to be a waste of time once again, or, you know, there might be even negative feedback. Um, so it was a journey of probably something between four to six months. Then once you see the first instances where it's really working, you see the credibility coming from not just the saying, but the doing. 
um, coming from face-to-face -face interaction with that leader, a new leader, I think the, the understanding was really there that this was now a different faith. And um, they, were, they were willing, of course, also with my own encouragement to give it a go. And of course, then they were enjoying and so on and so forth. But then, then it can go really quickly. But you're completely right. Um, seeing is believing, right? It's not just listening. And at the same time, I think one part of the task of the leader is to create a psychologically safe space and to put yourself out there. It means by explaining what you're trying to do, what you mean to achieve, talking about that. We want to have a learning culture. And if, you know, we're not pivoting sometimes, it just means we're not using the information out there and we're just not aiming high enough when we're not really being innovative enough, just getting that out there as wording. That's also what Amy Amundsen uh, is saying in her book. But then secondly, it's about just going ahead with your own examples, just, you know, sharing your own story. And yesterday, someone told me about what she did in her company in terms of cultural transformation. And one element was those evenings where they were coming together and they were sharing what had not worked out in this past month. And of course, the leaders need to be the ones speaking up first. And then you can encourage, you know, and get traction with the rest of the team. But yeah, I think it's, uh, you need to do some upfront investment as a leader. And you should not be disappointed if it's not the change from here to there within a week or a month. That's completely fine. Right. Right. It is a cultural change within your organization. Absolutely. And I think it's really valuable if you spend enough time understanding about the status quo, what's the history and what kind of baggage is there. Instead of thinking that, oh, tabula rasa, and now we just start afresh, that's not doable, right? There is always a history. Even if the history may not belong to you, there's a history in that company and for the people and an experience with the previous leaders. And um, yeah, you, you need to take that into account. Right. I know that might be a tricky question, but would you say, coming back to the cultural aspect of it, there might be certain cultures being certain industry cultures, certain yeah. company cultures, certain structures that might have it easier and then might have it harder than actually doing that change? Mm -hmm. well, maybe organizations were a certain different kind of company culture had been nurtured a lot, had been very strongly ingrained, that we would find it, you know, more challenging to really do a proper pivot. I don't know, if your culture has not been that well established anyhow, which is not a good thing to begin with, of course, but then it's easier to, you know, venture out in a different direction. I really do believe that a strong leader can have a huge, can have a huge, huge impact. So nothing is ever done by one single person, but you need to have the right person right at the top. Um, I think this can, this can go a long way. Um, 
probably also organizations who are used to show adaptability in different areas. So organizations that are used to paper their product line every couple of years, you know, they already have this mental agility and the, the experience with growth mindset. I, I could just, I would assume that this could also make it easier for them to embrace a new cultural approach as well, just because they are used to it. Because you could see any kind of adaptability as a muscle that needs to be trained. Um, that would be my my first best guess. There's mm-hmm. also you you pointed it out already. Um, that thing of a, a strong ingrained culture might be a hindrance to that. When at the same time, a, a strong culture can also be a, a very um, encouraging thing. So, so it's a, what do you focus your culture on, right? It's a, where do you, yeah. yeah, where do you put all the energies in and in strengthening that cultural foundation? Yeah. yeah. So is it the typical, we've always done it that way culture, or are you actually embracing a culture that is open uh, to change, to yeah. new ideas, to agility, as you said? Yeah, no, for sure. I think. You want to have a strong company culture and want to have one that is lived, that's not just you know, written on a piece of paper, one that people that are joining your organization can feel. I think you know you really have a super strong culture when new joiners can just feel it, even before they've had their cultural onboarding session or whatever you want to call it. Um, if it can be well described by team members in their own words, if it's really living, I think that's great. Um, I think it's important to look into whether your current culture is serving you best on a regular basis. I don't think it's, it's meant to be set in stone forever. Um, I think, of course, certain cool values, they should be you know, moving, through the times with you, but there will be a point in time when you're thinking, hmm, I'm not sure. I think we have evolved and I think we need to evolve. So maybe we need to add another value. And then ideally don't do it in isolation. I don't think that anything that's related to values, to culture, it's something that should be done by the leadership team. Alluring. It should involve the wider organization. You could think of you know, different ways or layered ways of, um, yeah, getting, getting people say, and it will only benefit afterwards the embracing and the commitment and the buy-in if it's not, you know, that was something we figured out uh, in a workshop, you know, for a week behind locked doors and now hear it and enjoy it. I want to bring the the diversity topic in again um, because it's a fine line to not use your culture at that as that excluding factor to say you're just not a culture fit with our company mm-hmm. when in fact that culture fit that is used in that context is just a reason to exclude somebody 
because of their gender, their background, their orientation, their beliefs, whatever. So how do we work with that fine line that it's not used to enforce our echo chamber, but yeah. at the same time keep the basis of the culture strong? Because I, I do agree culture itself can be a good reason why somebody does or doesn't work for and with you in that configuration. Yeah. At the same time, how do you keep that fine line so that it doesn't exclude on a yeah belief system way? So I think there is, in general, lots that needs to be done in order to come to an inclusive recruiting or inclusive search process involving everybody who has something to say and all the different steps. I think it's good if you're not just looking for a culture fit, but looking for a culture add. And that's a different story. I like that. And the second bit is, I think what you can do is first look at your own culture profile, look at the as is, and think about what is it where you would like to go to. And you can also ask candidates um, about their culture profiles. What is the culture profile that they have worked in so far? What is the culture profile of company they would like to work for? And then you're trying to figure out, looking at where you as an organization want to go to, where that person could fit in, right? So maybe, maybe they have have that experience. Take an example. So let's say we figure out that we need to have a better performance culture as part of our overall cultural um, assessment. So you could be looking for someone who is coming out of an organization where for the past 15 years, this person has really been a very performance-oriented environment. It could be highly beneficial. This could make a lot of sense. They could help you get to where you, know, you would like to go. Secondly, it would also be interesting to understand whether this is what they still want to do for the next 15 years, right? Because maybe they're just saying, you know, I'm really done with, you know, results, results, results every month. I want to do something different. That's also a relevant piece of information. But, um, you know, back to your initial point, we need to be careful to have the most inclusive process when it comes to looking for talent and not to be overlooking anybody who could just be a fantastic addition um, to the company. It's, it's a, when I hear you or when I understand what you were saying correctly, it's that mindset shift from is that perf person really the perfect fit for the little break that we have here? Or is there anything that could exclude them that we're just going to dismiss them? Or is it opening up the view to, I have a person, what can I do with them? And sometimes there might not be enough reason to hire them, but there's the willingness to look for it rather than to see how it fits. Exactly. Um, and I think it, it also helps if you're just aware of the different biases out there and affinity bias would be one, right? So let's not try to just, you know, get the same kind of person, the mini me of the boss to join us. That's not really beneficial. It may be very comfortable, but it's not give us the greatest results. Um, thinking of another conversation I had um, just yesterday where someone was saying, 
I need to be aware as a leader where my friends are, but I also need to be aware where the areas are that it's just not going to be my strength ever. And ideally, they're going to be covered by someone else. So try to hire for that. And that doesn't just mean functional skills. It also means the other skills out there. Um, and then uh, that person said something that I really enjoyed. Um, she was saying that, you know, maybe it, 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 it's most valuable to have at least one person who will put the elephant on the table, even if I, the elephant. So, oh, <laughs> well, that's deep. Yeah. And I think it, it all just highlights a major fundamental challenge we are having as leaders. That it can be a very lonely job and you don't have many people who will just tell you the truth because they, you know, think it's better to just tell you that you're such a great person because it will benefit their own careers or it will make their lives easier. Where actually you need to have those people that you can trust and they know they can completely trust you so that they are capable of telling you when you're going down the wrong road or when you're just not doing a good job as a leader. These are the most beneficial feedbacks you could be getting. That is an excellent advice. I'm, I'm still thinking of the picture of, of yourself being the elephant. Mm. Um, and it will happen regularly. I, I mean, I think we could all think of yeah. it. Where it was clear that the whole leadership team was already knowing that, yeah, we clearly need to change that, but the boss was not getting it yet uh, because maybe you know, he, she had initially uh, initiated it or was somehow attached to it. You need to have at least one person who will speak up and ideally everyone in the team has the capacity to do so. And it just does not happen like that. You can't just expect people to feel psychologically safe per se. It requires an active investment from your end. Yes. I'm just thinking, well, of course we could probably go over and over and over, but we've already put so many elephants on the table um, and talked through them, talked um, with them, talked around them. <laughs> um, Again, that, that is such a big topic that we probably could be sitting here for hours and hours and keep talking and debunking and philosophizing and everything. Um, but I think for right now, we've come a good full circle. And uh, thank you very much for going through all of that with me and sharing your insights, sharing your ideas, uh, your beliefs. Um, it was it was really a pleasure. Thank you very yeah, much. I yeah, It was just, you know, great topic to talk about, as you said. Um, you know, this could take a whole evening or a whole day. You can, you prove that you can actually make a job out of it. Exactly. <laughs> and a fun job. So uh, if you want to know more about that, you also know where to find me. No, yeah. I, think, I think there is, you know, so much that can be done, but there's so much opportunity. I think, I really believe that leadership is what decides whether or not we will be able to tackle the big challenges of today. I think it's nothing more than a choice, fortunately. Mm -hmm. 
Great. I'll leave that as the last word. Um, I'll put contact details for you in the show notes so everybody can reach out to you if they want to have an equally cool, inspiring conversation with you or uh, if they have any other questions. Um, yeah. Thank you. That being said, for now, thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much for being here. Um, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. So we'll talk soon and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for being a part of this conversation with my future skills. The show is hosted and produced by me, Saskia Listler. Music for the show is by Music Unlimited. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, you can go to conversationswithmyfutureskills.com. You can also download this episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it as it helps other listeners finding it. Hear you next time.